You're listening to The Active Lifestyle Marketer, brought to you by Tiger Creative, the creative agency for active lifestyle brands. Find out more at tigercreative.com. Welcome to The Active Lifestyle Marketer, a podcast dedicated to bringing industry experience and insight into marketing and active lifestyle brand. Whether you're a travel and leisure, fitness and sport, or a health and nutrition brand, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other active lifestyle brand executives, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Active Lifestyle Marketer. Today on the show, we have Nate Pearson, CEO and co-founder of Trainer Road. Nate, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. So for our audience, why don't you give a little backstory uh, behind Trainer Road, what you guys uh, came from, what you guys have been up to lately? Yeah, so the, the purpose of Trainer Road is we make cyclists faster, and it's for the type of person who wants to get as fast as they can in the least amount of time possible. If you're, we use a lot of science and uh, research to then apply that to power-based cycling training. So we do that through having a mobile and desktop app. And what, what it actually is, is people put their bike into a trainer. And for those who aren't a cyclist, the trainer is kind of like a treadmill for your bike. And then someone signs up and does a fitness test. And then based on the results of those tests, uh, we give them structured workouts and training plans. So actually while they're working out, we're, we're, presenting their power, heart rate, speed, and cadence, and they're getting real-time feedback and then coaching advice as they're training about what to do. So um, that's that's what we do in a nutshell, but how it came about is uh, maybe in 2007, 2008, I was a triathlete, and I had just graduated from college, and I had a low-paying Fortune 500 job, and I was going to what were called uh, CompuTrainer Studios, which is kind of like Trainer Road, except... Uh, You'd have to have a copy trainer, and I'd go to this this guy's shop, and it was twenty bucks every class, and it was too expensive for me. And I said, "Hey, I can write this software myself." So I started writing it, and then I contacted that coach and uh, asked him to uh, like write all the training plans because he was really good at writing the training plans. And then since then, we've uh, bootstrapped the company, and now I think we have. Uh, it took a while to build it, and I, you know, it's a full time job, but we're I think in our fifth year, and we have fifty five employees. Oh, wow. Yeah, things are going well, and we're, keep, we're continuing to grow and kind of expand in, inside the cycling market. Very cool. So you partnered with that coach? Yeah, he's a co-founder. Okay, very cool. Um, and is it all based around stationary bikes? Yeah, all based on, uh, at the moment, indoor cycling training. Not really stationary bikes, but indoor training, like indoor trainers. Okay. So you, you put your own bike in there, and that's a... That's a key part, and I know this is a marketing podcast, that like uh, someone who rides a stationary bike isn't necessarily the same like our core customer. These people ride their own bikes, and they buy a trainer. And that's a – if you're a, a cyclist, and I know, Zach, you used to be at least a triathlete, riding a stationary bike feels a lot different. And mm-hmm. a lot of people wouldn't be caught dead like doing a spin class or riding a spin bike. <laughs> They'd much, they'd much prefer to ride their TT bike on the trainer because they know that that's more effective and it's right. a different position. The flywheel's different, um, stuff like that. Very cool. And so how did you guys um, kind of figure out what market you wanted to um, work within and, and what type of audience you wanted to uh, work towards as you built this company? Yeah, so it's kind of – this is really the, the classic case of I just wanted it myself. And we keep building features that I want and the employees here at Trainer Road want. We have a lot of cyclists and high-level cyclists that work here. 
Um, it's definitely not the company where we said, we sat down and we said, oh, what's a market that's, you know, underserved, that spends a lot of money that we can help get uh-huh. past or, you know, it, it wasn't that time. It was like, we have a passion inside of cycling and we personally think we want all these tools to make us faster. And it happens to be in a market where, you know, the, on the marketing side of it, people are really well connected. They talk to each other, they post on forums and in the cycling market, they, they, they spend a lot of money on cycling, right? Oh yeah. People have 2000 to or 1000 to $10,000 bikes and it, it gets pretty ridiculous, pretty fast. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned you guys have a mobile and desktop app. It, does that integrate with other uh, softwares like Strava and, and things like that? Yeah. So we, uh, we sync rides to Strava and we're working on, so like you talked today about mostly being focused on indoor training. We're working on a, like the second leg of trainer road, which is uh, analytics software. So we're going to be pulling in workouts from Strava too, to be able to do power analysis and planning of your workouts. So we think we've nailed the ability to give someone the optimal workout, the optimal cycling workout, um, like the, that they can have. Mm-hmm. And now the next one is, can they then analyze their outside workouts, look at the training stress from indoor and outdoor and kind of plan their season, um, to be, to really peak at the right time and to, uh, become as fast as possible. Oh, wow. That's really cool. It seems like there's got to be a ton of research and development on your guys. end as you grow the company and kind of figure out what direction you're going and, and what the needs are, or is it just, you're throwing things out there and, and implementing as you go? What does that kind of look like? Uh, you know, we're a software company, so we're driven by engineering and, uh, we have a group of cyclists here. So we, the kind of the process is, uh, I'm really like the, the product guy who decides what should be in it, shouldn't be in it. And then we get to a stage where then I use it. And then the other cyclists here at Trina road use it. Mm-hmm. And then, then it changes a bunch more because once you start using, it's different and then right. it relates it to like a beta level and then to production. Okay. So you guys are putting it out through your own team first and, and playing with it before you ever put it out to beta. Yep. Exactly. And as you guys continue to grow and look to the next three to five years, um, what, what are some of your goals as you guys grow? So what we're focused on right now is that the inside workout part that I said, and giving someone the best structured workout that they can have, uh, two being the, uh, the analytics and planning, and then just making that as you know, making that as good as we can and serving mm-hmm. our market as, as well as we can. Cause it, cycling is a, actually a pretty big market if you think about it. Yeah. Well, it's a gigantic sport globally, especially. Exactly. And we haven't even got into, uh, internationalization at all. Oh, so really? I know I listened to the podcast with the flow guys about Japan and I was like, ah, oh, maybe I should, uh, think about Japan now. But, yeah. Yeah. Kind of so overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. And we do have a lot of international sales, but we are just English focused right now. Oh, okay, cool. So one language focused. Yep. Interesting. Um, okay, cool. And, um, what kind of differentiates you guys and sets you guys apart uh, from other offerings and other services similar to what you guys do in this space? Uh, and maybe why does your customer audience choose you over some of that competition if there is any out there? Yeah, so we are just the only reason we exist is to make you faster. We're not there to entertain you, to trick you, to think that you're working out. Um, I, I kind of think of uh, some other people as like a Zumba class, like, uh, like I'm not working out, you know, and this is, this is, uh, 
enjoyable, but really it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, maybe a fact that you don't want to acknowledge, but to really get faster, you have to work hard. Mm-hmm. And to, when you work hard, I'm sorry, but it's going to hurt. Yeah. Right. So we, we really pride ourselves on, is this feature going to make someone faster or not? And any, if it doesn't make someone faster, we're not going to build it. So by focusing on that and then using real science and focusing on our training plans and effective workouts and making the experience good, uh, I think that we're, we're, we're beating our competitors, uh, who might be like, like I said, more of the, we need to entertain you or trick you into thinking that you're not working out. And I think for our, our people than the people that marketing wise, the, uh, I think it's just a better spot to be in is to mm-hmm. focus on really the the core reason why someone signs up for trainer is to get faster. So let's do that. And it, I'm not saying that you can't be entertained while you work out. Uh, people bring, you know, Netflix, HBO go, they listen to music. I do a mix of on my easy days. I watch like a, uh, you know, Silicon Valley or game of Thrones or something like that. And then on my hard days, I listen to like loud music and I watch mountain bike uh, videos on YouTube. Oh, that cool. It kind of puts me, it gives me more motivation and it's a good switch, you know, back and forth. Cause I go, uh, I go hard, easy off, hard, easy off. And that kind of, it's a really good, uh, mix that I've found to make me faster. And so are these, um, are these trainings like video trainings that you guys are doing online? Like the, the workouts? Yeah. No, the workouts, it's actually a, it's a, it's like a structured workout. So it's a time-based interval workout. And depending on where you're at in the season, uh, and what kind of cyclist you are, it's going to be a different interval based workout. So a lot of people, they say, you know, they focus on how many miles they've cycled, which is the wrong way to think about training stress. Cause you could ride 50 miles and it could be very easy or it could be very hard mm-hmm. and just focusing on mileage or even time doesn't give you the whole picture at all. And it could even be deceptive. So we break it down into three seasons, base, build, and specialty or base is your, you know, you're laying the kind of the groundwork build your racing, your FTP, or your, your kind of your power for an hour and specialty being the icing on the cake. So for instance, I want to peak, uh, for cyclocross this fall. So I've, I've already done a, a, a base season and now I'm kind of working to build my FTP higher. And then as I get closer into season, I'll be doing very short, hard efforts that are, uh, you know, might be 130% FTP hard, hard efforts that are short. And then during the quote rest intervals, I may be at 90% FTP, which is a very, very still hard place to be at to kind of emulate that, uh, cyclocross racing. So as I work through, I'm, I'm getting power targets to hit. Mm-hmm. And if you have something like a Wahoo kicker or a cyclops, cyclops hammer, it'll actually lock you in as you're working out. All you have to do is turn the pedals and it will actually change the resistance. So I, I just have to kind of stay motivated and make sure my legs can keep going as I go through the workout. And at the end, uh, you know, I have potential fitness as long as I recover. Okay. Interesting. That's really cool. Um, and so do you guys tend to see that most of your audience is like the more hardcore elite type athletes or, or do you see people that are at all levels? They just have a, a true desire to get faster. Yeah, it's, that's a good, we get that a lot. It's actually all levels. And something to know too, is you, tr- the, the difference between someone who's at like a, just beginner cyclist and someone who's a very high level cat one or pro you train the same way, but the cat one or pro has more volume. 
They can take okay. more training stress and they have a, a higher, you know, genetic gifts like VO2 max and stuff like that. So in our market, there's not that many, like, like we couldn't, if we only did the top, like cat ones and pros or something, we wouldn't exist at least at the size we're at now. Right. It's really, I, I, we find that the biggest benefit that people get is if you, the people that are lower that really haven't done structured training before, like in the lower category or beginner cyclists, or even if you've been training for a lot of years, but you haven't done structured training, they get a big boost right away. And then they kind of get addicted because they want to, you know, keep raising that FTP and they get faster and faster and faster. So to answer your question, no, it's not just competitive cyclists. It's anyone who's really just wants to get faster and they don't even have to be training for an event. There's a lot of people who do, uh, well, I guess a grand Fondo is event, but something that's less competitive, mm-hmm. but they just want to kind of better themselves. And, uh, triathlon is another one with that, right? Like most of the time, you know, 99.9% of the people won't win a triathlon, mm-hmm. but you're just there to try to get a faster time than before. Right. It's kind of com- competing against yourself is the nature of this sport with most athletes, most amateurs. Exactly. Yep. And I, that's, as a triathlete, that's part I really love is because you can always get wins. Oh, I, I did that a little bit better. My run split was a little bit better. Right. Rather than just losing every single, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, now, as you guys, when were you guys founded? I think the very, the last month of 2011. So you could say 2012. To 2012. Okay. Or was it 2011? I always forget. Somewhere around there. So as you, you guys have not been around too long. So as you, as you guys have as, have grown and it sounds like you've, ha- you've had some pretty significant growth with 55 employees, um, what are some specific marketing strategies and approaches that you guys have seen that have worked and brought you success as you've had this um relatively quick growth. Yeah. So I'll start like kind of in the early days and then what we, what we did as we expanded. So one thing very early on is we had a presence inside of forums and, uh, the flow guys are actually really good at this too, is uh, I talked about this before, but cycling and triathlon, uh, it's a connected group, right? If, if we were selling like a expense app, the people who use an expense app don't get together every weekend. They don't go on forums for hours a day and like debate things and, and talk about different expense apps. It's not connected, but in cycling, it's different where they're all there. There's already a culture there that they're talking to each other. So we wanted to be a part of that conversation. So very early on, we use Google ad or Google alerts. And then we just go to uh, all like the big forums and search for Trina road. And if somebody mentions us, we want to respond to them and, you know, help them out. If they have a bug, we want to help them out. Confusion, uh, praise, we want to answer that. And we just want to be connected with the market there in an an authentic way. Um, What we don't do is we never bring up Trainer Road. So if someone goes, uh, I want, I'm looking for the best indoor structured working training app. We don't go in there and respond Trainer Road because I feel that's like a sleazy marketing thing that Uh we see through really fast. We want to be there if someone says, um, I have a question about Trainer Road or, hey, I really like Trainer Road. We want to go in there and say thanks or answer their question. It's kind of a little bit of a support and community connection. And I think that has – it's two parts of it. One, it's good marketing. But two, it also helps us like you're, you're connected with your customers really quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you're getting feedback. I, I listened to some other stuff and – mostly B2C. And they're like, you need to meet 10 customers a month. And I'm thinking 
man, I talk to like, it seems like three or 400 customers every month, right? Through different forums and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's nice that the market is that you're able to do that very easily. So that's kind of like the first level. And, uh, we still do that today. We actually have someone whose full-time job is just to go around to forums to help people. It's kind of part of our uh, support system here at Trainer Road. Oh, very cool. Um, the next thing we do is we do we have our own videographer and photographer full-time on staff, and we make winner stories. So there are people who have used Trainer Road to do amazing things, um, from winning their age group in a triathlon or uh, you know a world champion Sonia Looney. Uh, we just had Pete Morris. We just did a video on that where he's on the Cliff Bar team, and he talks about how he and the Cliff Bar team use Trainer Road in their their crits and how it makes them faster. Uh, we did a long, so that's kind of you've talked about that how you tell stories, and we think that's very important that mm-hmm. uh, to kind of show that on the marketing side. Yeah, and then we've also done something called uh, the Chase, which is a a long form documentary or long for us that's like seventeen or eighteen minutes long, and it's the story of Justin Rossi who was trying to win a, uh, a national TT championship. And the previous year, he lost by like four seconds or something, oh. seven seconds. And this is his story about him going through uh, and, and trying to win the next year. Uh, my only regret with that is we probably didn't do enough product placement in there. It's, But it's I, I love the video. I watch it all the time. It's very not markety. It's very um, interesting if you're a cyclist. And that on YouTube, that's got... 444,000 views. Oh, so wow. Yeah, it's been doing well. That's really cool. And when did that launch? Uh, I'm not sure. But if you look on YouTube, you can see. Yeah, I'll um, have to take a look. It's If you're a cyclist and you want motivation, just watch that. It, I swear it's not like a gimmicky trainer road video. And that's that's what makes a good marketing video too. Yep. If it's just like explaining your product, no one's going to watch it. Nope. But if it's showing someone like doing something amazing and motivating and they happen to use Trainer Road, that's that's a great, it's a great, great thing. Yeah. It's like well, that, everybody, everybody wins. Yeah. And that's what we've seen in this active lifestyle space is everybody wants to tell the the video story of how their product is better than the next wheel set or the next bike. And I mean, nowadays, everything is there's hardly any difference between these products. And so the, no one cares about those videos. No one's really watching those videos. What they, what most people I think can relate to are, are, are real stories. And when you can tell those real stories um, and then, you know, subtly put in whatever brand identity pieces you can, then that's going to really um, make a difference and, and have a, a lasting uh, difference on on brand recognition and all those other pieces. So, I completely agree. And one company in the cycling world that's been doing a good job of this recently is Envy. Yeah, it's, it's just I don't. You can't. It's you can't even put your finger on it, right? You're just like, man, I just want them. I don't know why. <laughs> and I watch right, and you watch Envy videos, and it just looks amazing. And then then you look at the stats, and you're like, hey, these are good wheels. But uh, and I. I uh, two, I, I use Envy on my mountain bike and I use Flow on my road stuff. Uh, just a shout out to the Flow guys. But it's, I, I, that's a, they're just doing a great job. That's mm-hmm. what I want to say. Yeah. Their so, they're, uh, videographer, photographer, Kevin Winsler's pretty incredible talent. So it's it's been fun to watch what they've created together. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and so the, the last part that we've done too that's helped us a lot is uh, we have a podcast. 
can I plug my podcast? Absolutely. Okay. It's called Ask a Cycling Coach Podcast. And uh, how that came about is we were getting a lot of training questions into our support um, system. And we thought, ah, we should start doing like uh, some uh, webinars about how to train with power. And we do this webinar and we get like 30 people in and uh, we would do, uh, we'd have like this this slideshow that we talk about how to train with power. And then for like the last five minutes, we take questions. I realized that the questions were the most interesting part and people had a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. So we started taking those questions and batching them and it kind of evolved a few different ways. We tried to do live ones after that, but it turned into now people go to trainer.com slash podcast. They submit a question and then we answer those questions on the podcast. And uh, it's all about, you know, being a faster cyclist, which is our core value. And then inside of that, we try to use, uh, it's a mix of, uh, science that we, you know, we research studies and kind of answer with what a, what the scientific approach is. And then also we are, we do things to ourselves to, to kind of, uh, like for one, we're, we're talking about heat acclimation in a podcast today. So right now I am, I'm doing workouts in a shower that's super hot to try to be heat acclimated and to see how that affects my power. Because there is research showing that um, being heat acclimated will increase your power in hot weather and in cold weather conditions. So now we're trying it on ourselves. Oh, so interesting. Stuff, stuff like that. And we get VO2 max tests, uh, metabolic efficiency, resting metabolic rate, uh, DEXA scans, which are body fat scans every three months, and which is scary because it picks up every bit of body fat, even like <laughs> intermuscular and... Uh, not just uh, and not just uh, subcutaneous fat, but anyways that that has hit off very well, and that's a again that's we're trying to establish ourselves as a uh, a thought leader in the space, and um, it's just so much fun. We get to go you know go to fun places and do fun things. So and and sounds like maybe nerd out a little bit on some some of the science pieces. Oh yeah, so I'm one of the the hosts of that, and uh, I am not uh, a cycling coach. But I love to nerd out. <laughs> I'm very neurotic. I uh, I bring a scale. I have three scales, food scales, and I measure all my food and I hit macros of 50% carbs, 25 fat, 25 uh, protein. And I'm always trying to optimize everything that I'm doing and then, uh, you know, report back of what has helped. That's So that stuff too, I, I want to stress that is the N equals one anecdotal stuff. That's not a study, but it's still kind of interesting to see like... Uh, you know, this research says that this is optimal and now Nate did it. Did he have any improvement on it? Like, it doesn't mean that I, that I make the study invalid or valid either way. It's still interesting though. And right. kind of the, kind of the tips that I do that were that I found that make it easier or harder to, um, f to kind of try to follow the study as closely as possible. Very cool. Now going back to the podcast, did you guys start that pretty recently? Uh, we're in episode 100, we're recording 102 and 103 today. So and is that a daily podcast or a weekly podcast? Uh, weekly, sometimes twice a week, but usually weekly. So I'm guessing it's been up for maybe a year and a half. Okay. And as you guys have put that out now, a year, year and a half, have, have you seen some um, growth from that? Have you seen some more awareness behind that? What has that done for your brand? Yeah, so it's... We really like try to measure everything marketing here at Train Road, but the podcast, it's hard to measure, but we do have, we, I think on iTunes, we have like 
384 five-star reviews, one four-star review, and it's because we had bad mics back in the day, and then nothing else below that. Um, although people do sometimes email us in with problems with the podcast, and we try to talk to them and improve it, but uh, just the the feedback has been very great, and we get a lot of uh, people talking in different channels about how they like it. And the the biggest part that I like too is people who aren't Trainer Road users find value listening to the podcast. And we really try to not just make it be a Trainer Road podcast, but a how to get faster as a cyclist podcast. And sometimes we talk about Trainer Road, but you definitely don't need to be a Trainer Road member to uh, listen to the podcast. Right. So you guys are just you're you're offering value to anybody that has any interest in in learning how to be faster on their bike. Exactly. It's, it's inbound marketing, right? So we, we also yep. have a blog. I haven't talked about this, but we have a blog and we do the same thing as we try to write articles about, uh, becoming faster. And that's inbound marketing too, which I really like more than, uh, spending money on ads as a mm-hmm. bootstrapped company, the kind of the, um, the cost of acquisition and how fast you return that money can be tough. But with inbound, it's like you're building this, you're pouring cement in this huge foundation. And if you make evergreen content, that inbound stuff that you build should be, you know, like the chase. Two years from now, it should still be relevant. Five years from now, it should still be relevant piece of content. Or if I buy a Facebook ad, it's relevant for, you know, the the week that I spend the money on it, and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. And and so has, has inbound always been a, a marketing tool that you guys have used, creating that, that value content for anybody? Uh, it's always been something we've used. We still, you know, we always, we have plans to do it better than what we do now, of course, right? Like you always want to make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done some, uh, advertising and with mixed results, some we do really well and we have a low cost of acquisition and, uh, we spend a lot of money in that, but other ones, you know, it's a lot easier to test on ads and some things just don't work. And p- part of that too, is that if we were selling wheels or selling uh, running shoes, I think the ads would work really well. But because we're in a kind of like a new segment inside of cycling and we're building this new category and not everyone's even familiar or aware that this is possible to do, that it's really hard to get this across uh, quickly. It's almost like you're explaining more of the – you. it feels like you need to explain the what rather than the why in an ad, right? Because you can have an ad that says get faster – but they don't, there's like, how do I get faster? They don't, they, you have to make that connection somewhere and maybe it's on your homepage or inside of it. Mm-hmm. But if it was, if it was a running shoe, I can just simply show a picture of a shoe or somebody running and they understand right, right away what a running shoe is. Right. But if I, if I say structured indoor power-based training, people go, what? Yeah. What's that? I, I, I what? What's a power meter? Right. So you guys have a lot of education to do on the on the front end before a client ever makes a, or a potential customer ever makes a decision. Exactly, and that's why focusing on the inbound stuff, where the the like the the sales time, how long it takes them to uh, convert to train our customer is much longer. But we want them to start, you know, finding an article about how to ride in the heat, and maybe they found some benefit from that, and they come back and they read some other stuff. And they find out about power-based training, how that's so superior to something like heart rate or RP-based training. And maybe they find out, hey, I, I, I understand the science behind it, but it's really complex to write my own training plans and my own workouts. Why don't I spend this, you know, uh, 
spend 12 bucks a month or 99 a year, which for it's a it's a it's a very inexpensive uh, product for what we offer. Mm-hmm. A lot of value there. So they say, well, why don't I just try Tree and Road? Interesting. Now, as you guys produce content for your inbound, whether it's the podcast or the the blog writing, are you guys then taking that content and and promoting it through paid like Facebook ads or anything like that? You know, we haven't done, we haven't promoted our content through paid ads. We might do some of that. Um, We might. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. Uh, Yeah. So that's the. It's still undecided on that end. It's yeah, it's undecided. And if we were to do it, we we would start small and try to measure it as best as we can. Mm -hmm. And if it works, we'll go forward with it. And if it doesn't, we won't. Very cool. Now I'm going to go, go ahead. One thing I want to say is basically our strategy is to build advocates. So focus Mm -hmm. on making a great product. And if let's say, Zach, we're going out and I'm not a trainer road user and you are, and we always ride together. And then we start riding, you start dropping me on the hills. And I go, I'm like, what did you do? And you go, I use trainer road. That is a sale right there, right? You just sold me on trainer road. We find that that's the best way is just like spend rather than hiring, spending more money on Facebook ads, hire another engineer or another designer to make the product better. Interesting. And that, that then, you know, if you have a high NPS, a uh, net promoter score, which is a, a measure of kind of how, um, how many advocates you have versus how many detractors you will have a, your product will naturally get better or will naturally not naturally get better. It will naturally, uh, be viral and other people will recommend it. And if, especially if you're in a new product category, you need to have advocates to build it. Oh, absolutely. Very, very, very expensive. Yeah. Now, so, so you guys are just really making a push to make sure your user experience is incredible and, and having that be the forefront of everything you do. And then once that is in place and, and you've got your customers, and clients super happy and, and talking about you in positive ways to their friends and family, um, then you can start worrying about and, and trying new things in the marketing space. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's not either or two. It's, uh, Both. it's just the, the, yeah, the marketing team at train road is much smaller than the engineering design and test team. Right. right. So we spend, we, we allocate more money to building a better product and it's not just the experience but it's the results. So if we really want to make sure that people get faster, because if they get faster, it's great. If they have a good experience, but they don't get any faster, they might tell their, you know, tell other people, but it's not going to be as powerful as when Zach, you dropped me on the climb. That's mm-hmm. the, that's the best, that's the best uh, salesperson we can have is making somebody actually fitter than they were before. Yeah. Now you mentioned NPS. How are you guys measuring that? Yeah, we used, uh, what was it? Hockey app, I think has a little plugin for that. And so we use that on the website occasionally, uh, we'll turn it on and then everyone will get asked the question, how, you know, how likely are you to recommend this to a friend or colleague? Oh, okay. So, and then they rate it there and then we, we, we don't have it on all the time because we find it, it's a little too annoying to, I don't want to be the always pinging people, but right. we do it then. And occasionally we will do a, a once a year user survey. And uh, during that, we'll uh, we'll also ask about NPS. Very cool. So you'll you'll keep that to a minimum. Yeah, because it's just too much, right? Like, yeah, 
So you get, how many websites? It's usually the bigger companies, and it's always like, how well do you like this site? And you get it all the time. Oh, it, gosh. It makes you want to leave the platform, right? Yeah, there's some... There's some so I have a, a, a history in photography. That's kind of where I came out of in this creative space. And so I most of my gear I purchased from a couple, two different sites. And like every single purchase, no matter what, you get a follow-up survey. How is this product? How is your experience? How is, you know, whatever the surveys they, they're asking at the certain time. But it's every single purchase and it just gets annoying. It's, that's not, like it makes me want to go find another place because I, I just don't want that follow-up survey email every time. Yep. I hear you. Um, you going back to the forums and how you guys have a, a, a strong presence on those forums. Um, are you doing a lot of the same stuff around social and, and making sure you're answering those questions and, and being in those conversations in social, wherever, whatever platforms you're using? Yeah, for sure. And to an extent that we can, you know, on, so our Facebook page, and then we search for hashtags and stuff like that. And we reach out and we have an Instagram presence and, uh, uh, stuff like that. But obviously it's, it's limited. Like on Facebook, I, I, we can't go to anywhere. Anyone ma- mentions trainer road on Facebook, but we're definitely right. have a social presence too. So any, anytime you can, or, or you, you recognize that someone's talking about it, you'll, you'll make a a stop or jumping in on the conversation, but yeah. And um, as, lo- as long as it's appropriate too, it's not like, you know, sometimes people are talking about us and there's no need for us to jump in. So we, it's, uh, it involves training for the person who's doing it, but it's, it's not again, going back to the, the, like the survey questions, we don't want to be just all the time, like in your face, <laughs> the stalker, the stalker exactly. brand. That's just always jumping in on the conversation. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We don't want to be a stalker brand. Uh, uh, yeah, that's a good way to put it, a stalker brand. Well, that's that's a hard balance to find because you want to be in that conversation. You want to be providing value, especially in that conversation. Um, and, and like you talked about, not always pushing train a road or whatever product or service you offer. Um, but you still do want to be in that conversation and, and provide value. That's really, that's really the, the thing. Can I add value to this conversation? Right. Um, and if you can, then you should do it because then everybody wins. It's like the, I talked about the chase, the, our cycling documentary. If whenever everybody wins, that's like, that's marketing things you should be doing. Um, can you share some examples or maybe two of some struggles and challenges you guys have experienced um, as you guys have grown or maybe that are inherent with your industry uh, that you noticed in this kind of um, new space um, and, and how you guys have worked to overcome some of those challenges and struggles? Yeah. So probably my, this is my biggest mistake. Back when we were like a four person company, um, we had, we were in an article in some like local newspaper and I got a call from uh, someone from Google and they said, Hey, every quarter we reach out to companies in the health space and we work directly with them to uh to like with the ads team to help to optimize ads for you would you guys like to apply so this was this was just a sales call but i thought it was something special and i totally like uh i was very naive and did a bad job so i'm like oh yeah this would be great and they're like okay cool like to get into the program you need to spend at least twenty thousand dollars and i was like that that was like you know you can imagine with four people, $20,000 is way, 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 way too much. And I was oh, like, yeah. I could stretch it. And I was like, okay, let's do 10. 
And I was like trying to do numbers. I'm like, okay, if we spend the money and our cost of acquisition is X, we're going to get the money back here and we're going to make money doing this. The ad team, the Google ad team is actually going to help us. So this is our chance to see if these kind of things work. And uh, so we, I said yes, like a dummy. And we worked with the ad team and they helped us like, you know, refine our ads and make sure that they were displayed just to the right keywords and all that kind of thing. And we spent the money. And um, I talked to you about the the problems of a new market segment. And this is when nobody knew about us. We're very early on. Uh-huh. And we spent $10,000 and we got four signups. So at the time it was $10. So we got 40 bucks <laughs> out of $10,000. And I was like, oh, this is horrible. And I realized further on that this is just... This is just a salesperson calling me, asking to spend money, but she said it in such of a way that I thought I was special. Um, so it's a great, it's really helped me in the future not spend more money on stuff. Um, I had a call like afterwards with somebody higher up in that Google AdWords team. And he looked at the ads and he was like, oh yeah, you're a new product category. You shouldn't be doing this. This is, I wouldn't have had you guys do this. Oh gosh. Like, like uh, thank you. And then about a month later, I think this isn't like an automated process with AdWords. They sent us a picture. It's like it's the word Google, but it's a bike and it was framed. And it's like, thanks for the Google AdWords team. But I think if you spend over a certain amount of money, you just get one of those and then we have <laughs> it hung up in the office. And it's a good way whenever we think about spending a bunch of money, we really want to make sure that we uh, measure it if we can, you know, and or at least do napkin math. So what we should have done is this is I should have spent, you know, $400 at first, seeing if we could get a single sign up, right? Instead mm-hmm. of all 10,000 at once. But I thought that I, to get into the quote unquote program, I needed to spend 10 grand. Well, you so probably that, made that sales lady's na- day. Yeah. She, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I was just so dumb. So anyway, it's helped though, because other things from now, I'm much more savvy. Uh, <laughs> but that's my, that's the embarrassing. And worst thing that we have done in a, in a challenge. And I hope no one else experiences that. Well, yeah, that's, that's really interesting because of your segment and where you guys, where you guys are in the market that, that, that purchase would just not make sense because there's so much education that has to take place first for, for a customer to make that decision. Exactly. But so flow cycling, right. And someone types in fastest triathlon wheels that might that might be a uh, really good for them, right? Google yeah. AdWords that comes up and it's like, you know, we have the fastest wheels. Uh, but in our place, it, no one was no one was searching for cycling, wattage-based cycling training programs. No one was searching for that, right? <laughs> so we had, we had much more broad terms and it was just not good. Interesting. Um, a follow-up question to that. How you, what are some of the pain points within... Um, within this space and uh, within this active lifestyle space you guys have seen? Mm. One, this is really inside of our market, but uh, we've always tried to have the message of a lot of people have thought historically that the trainer was only for cold weather. So they'd buy a trainer because they couldn't cycle outside, not because it's the most effective way to train. And the way I say that is because when you're outside, the amount of power you can put out and the duration is going to be dictated by the terrain, how long your climbs are, um, how long the downhills are. Where if you, let's say a classic, if you're new two by 20 at threshold, which is a great workout, 
a lot of if you're in Wisconsin, it might be extremely hard to do two by twenty. Even here in Reno, that has some hills. Unless I go to a really long climb, it's hard to get twenty minutes climb in a row, uh, a twenty minute climb that I can put out my threshold all twenty minutes in a row. So we have trying to educate people that we we know that people cycle or they train to race and ride outside, but during like the weekdays, maybe you get in your two structured workout uh, rides in the in the summer. And then you do your weekend longer rides that are endurance outside and you can still get kind of the, the best way to train, uh, but not, you know, still use train around in the summer to get faster. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's been a challenge. And also having our, you know, being able to import outside rides and analyze them will be a, uh, will help with that too, because people then can take their, their rides that they're doing outside and see, are they really training as effectively as they can? Interesting. Kind of remove the seasonality aspect of it. But I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm not just saying this, but the fastest guys do use train road year round because it's an effective way to train. Uh, they, they're not like signing up for three months and then just training, you know, just riding their bike outside and then training again for three months. They train 12 months a year or 10 months a year, you know, or I'm sorry, 11 months a year. Interesting. So your, your fastest guys or the people that are seeing the most growth or, are doing it year round, not just doing it in the winter when they can't get outside. Absolutely. It's, it's about being consistent in your training. It's not about trying to load up a bunch of training and then just ride through the summer. That's the number one. Even if you don't use trainer row, the number one thing to get faster is to be consistent in your training. Right. And you have to layer on the, the structured workouts and the, uh, you know, the optimal kind of training on top of that. So how are you guys educating like with your customers that have said yes, obviously there needs to be some education up front before that customer makes a decision. And and you guys are doing different things with the podcast and the blogs to educate, but how are you educating the customer that has said yes, that maybe has that perception? Oh, this is only for the winter. Um, but then like, are you guys, what are you guys doing to educate them to say, Hey, this can actually be something you Im- implement year round to get faster. So right now we don't, besides we don't directly target them. Like we we're, we're doing stuff in our, on us, in our marketing channels, but the best way, and we've heard this before is someone might use this for three months, they get stronger and then they use it in the summer or they don't use this in the summer and they get slower and then they come back and they get stronger. And then they tell us, Hey, last year I, I, I suspended my uh, subscription and I, I got slower. So again, it's the focus on if you just make them faster while they're using it, like the proof's in the pudding. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like the, it's like a weight loss program. It's like, how do you educate people not to get off the weight loss program? It's well, if they do a weight loss program and they lose weight and then they get off it and they gain weight, they think, Hey, I should be on this weight loss program or change my diet based on what these people are saying. Mm-hmm. Does, does that make sense? Like it's just, just give them results and yeah. they'll come back. So everything is driven by and points to that purpose. We make cyclists faster and everything that you do is driven by that purpose. Yes. You can work for marketing at train road now, Zach. That's, <laughs> that's it. But I mean, it's, it's just so core is, is if, if they get results, they'll, they'll use train road. Yeah. You, you don't need to try to trick them or, you know, or convince them through words. Another thing too, is that our market really lends itself to this because, uh, 
their people are doing what's called an FTP test. So they're they're doing power-based training tests, like testing their, they're doing an all-out interval. And then from that, we're estimating their FTP. And it's kind of like uh, doing your max bench press or something in the gym. And if they increase, when we tell them to test every four to six weeks, it's it's right there you know, in front of them and they know that they're faster. Or something mm-hmm. else like a, somebody might get an aero helmet or like a road aero helmet, right? And a wind tunnel test might say it's faster, but I doubt that they really feel or know on the road that it's faster, right? Right. Like uh, it's not screaming in their face. If their Garmin somehow said, you just saved 12 minutes on this or 12 seconds on this climb because you rode an aero helmet. They don't, there's not that feedback that we have right. that, that really shows that they're, that they're getting faster. Yeah, definitely. So, so what have, have you guys just learned all of this as you guys have gone or, cause it, it seems like you are really well, um, just from this conversation, it seems like you're well established in, in your marketing approach and, and how your purpose drives everything. Like you guys are well established in, in that more so than a lot of some other big brands that, that we've talked to and, and, and especially seen in the market, there's, there's some big brands that are just all over the place. And, um, you guys definitely seem like, you know, what you're doing around marketing and and having a purpose behind what you do as a company. Well, thank you for that. But I'm going to say is that I say 98 out of hundred cyclists don't know who we are yet. So we're just, I'm just now getting to the point where I'll go to a race and I'll wear my trainer road hat or a shirt and someone will be like, Hey, trainer road. Um, it's still, although I think we're getting better and more focused and we're getting a better system for our marketing, mm-hmm. we just need to do more of it. Right. Like, like we yeah. have this, the right game plan, but we could do more of it. And I struggle with that as a CEO and co-founder, like, oh, should I be taking money so that I could then expand my team, my marketing team and do more of what we know works? And that's, you know, that's a, a totally different conversation and podcast that we can talk about, but we still have a lot of, a lot of place to go. And, and the way that we've learned this is one trial and error, but really books, man, uh, there's so many great books and you just, uh, just, I, I'm a, I read audio books or listen to audio books all the time. I think I go through one or two a month. And there's great business books, great marketing books. Um, yeah, S- S- Simon Sinek's uh, Start With Why. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're a marketer or you own a brand and you haven't read that, you should read it. Um, built to Stick. Or no, wait, Made to Stick, Built to Last. Those two books, Scaling Up, um, From Good to Great. There's Those are some of my my top books that I like. Awesome. That, that's that's great. Thank you for sharing those. Um, I want to go back to the storytelling element. You mentioned that you guys have a full-time photographer, videographer, um, and you, you touched on some of the storytelling elements that you guys are doing. Uh, how often are you guys pushing that out in where attention is with within, especially social, um, where, mm-hmm. where attention is? How are you... How often are you putting those stories out? Um, what does that kind of storytelling approach looks lo- look like um, in a, maybe a more detailed explanation of that? Yeah, so it's funny. We just had a like an off-site leadership meeting, and that was one of the things is how can we better get these great stories that we're doing out to our users and other people? And 
I think it's not, there might be some trainer road users listening to this who have never heard of the chase or have never seen some of these videos. So we have to do a better job in pushing those out. And we have a, there's a whole, there's a whole slew of things that we want to do, but the, the, how often we do it, it's, it's really when we find somebody like we don't, we don't say we need to do a video every, uh, 30 days or 60 days. It's, we find someone fantastic who's using trainer road, who's done something amazing. And we say, Hey, can we do a story about you? Can we fly some videographers out there? Here are examples of other ones that we've done. Uh, would you be interested? And when we find that we do it. And then what we're not doing that we're doing some educational videos. Uh, we're trying to leverage some of the content in the podcast. I think of it as like, uh, Disney. I just went to Disneyland and, you know, you watch a movie and then you go to Disneyland based on that movie. Then you get on a ride based on that movie. Mm-hmm. And then when you get off, you walk through a shop with all the toys based on that movie. And then you, as you're walking out of the place, they're trying to sell you a Disney cruise to have that same experience on another kind of platform where they're going to sell you more Disney stuff. Right. And there's in marketing, we can kind of leverage that where people are asking us questions and we know that users are asking these questions and we, we, uh, we track all of them, right? So that we know like, what are the most questions or what are the type of questions people are asking right now or this time of the year? We can do a podcast about that. We can then write a blog post about that, that then, you know, leverages what was in the blog podcast. And then we can do a video series on that to educate people about what we just talked about. Um, and it's kind of like this, this big circle, right? That, that then might, somebody might have a new question and, uh, it's just taking that content and putting it into many, many channels and leveraging it as much as we can. We post it on social, you know, answer more questions, more questions might come from that. Does that make sense? Like kind of rather than doing like sporadic, um, uh, content, we want to have it all be kind of in line. I probably didn't answer your question, Zach, but basically we, we do it when we find winners. That's cool. Now that, that makes a lot of sense. Just rambling. <laughs> I get excited. I, that I like sounds it. like it. You get, you get, you're passionate, which is good about what you do. It's awesome. I'm very passionate. And I, yeah, I am a, definitely, I use trainer road all, all the time. I'm, that's another, awesome. That's another thing that, that perturbs me is when, uh, the co-founder or CEO doesn't use their product, uh-huh. right? Like the, maybe because they saw a market opportunity, uh, you can still have a great company, but it's, uh, I just, maybe it doesn't perturb me. It, I'm saying that wrong. Actually, it's, I am so lucky to be inside of a, to have a business where I really like to use the product and I really like to be in the culture and do it. Yeah. that That's the better way to say it. And then, so that's the lucky part. And then other people, I hope employees and customers see and feel that. And that makes them more excited about the product because they know I'm excited and I really live and breathe this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's a better way to say it. I, I, it's not that I'm, I'm not. So if I look at like the founder of Salesforce, that does not perturb me that I'm like, he's probably not using Salesforce every day. Right. Right. That, that I don't get mad at that at all. I said it wrong. So, <laughs> so I'm, I, uh, I'm just lucky to be in the position that I'm in. Yeah. That's really cool. You've built a, a brand around what you love and what you love doing. Yeah. That's yeah. Zach again. Great job. <laughs> he said it way better than I did. Uh, that's really cool. That and and you don't see that very often. It, people um, going out and and doing what they love and and 
doing what they're passionate about and, and building something up around that. Um, I think it, it, well, yeah, that's really they, cool. They do. If you listen to your podcast, cause like, uh, there's that gravel grinder, the flow guys, the, the last nutritionist coach. Yeah. All people like we've had some, we've had some really great guests on the show so far. Yeah. That's another just side note is that. So we are in Reno, Nevada. We're not in Silicon Valley and yet we have a software company. I think a lot of people think that one, they have to attack like this, you know, a market where they can get to a billion in revenue and they have to then do the, you know, let's analyze it where I think you can have a great life. And this is the nutritionist. I'm sorry, I forget her name, but she said it right. It's like, you can follow your passion. The flow guys are doing this too. You can follow your passion, pick a niche that's, it doesn't have to be, you know, a hundred million. It doesn't have to be gigantic. But if you're following your passion there, your life can be absolutely fantastic and you can be successful. Like, I think you're more likely to be successful if you go at something smaller that's in your passion than if you try to go to something that's going to, you know, knock it out of the park with and be a unicorn or have a $500 million sale. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, and then on top of that, there's so many people who sell a company for $500 million and then they feel lost and yep. they feel like they don't know what their purpose in life is. Mm -hmm. um, I, the and then they've got to find, they'll find something, a new, new, a new unicorn to chase after. Yeah. M Mark Zuckerberg said it when Yahoo wanted to uh, buy Facebook for a billion dollars. He said, what am I going to do with a billion dollars? I'm going to create another social network because that's what I want to do. So why would I sell this one? Yeah, that's really, that's really good. Um, I completely agree. And, and what we've seen with a lot of our guests is that they, they're building a lifestyle and a passion around their passion and, and getting to do it in a location that they love that fits their lifestyle and their family situation the best, not, not necessarily chasing a location or, uh, industry, but, um, you know, chasing what works best for them and their lifestyle. And for me, uh, chain road is definitely not a lifestyle business. I am, uh, it is not something that I can just show up to a couple hours a week. I am here all the time working weekends. I'm trying to, I, I still have problems with the balancing, cycling, running train or road and being with my family, but I, hopefully I'm doing a, a, doing a better job than I was when like, you know, we we're in our first year. Yeah. Crazy times. Now I can, I usually come, I can go from like six to five or seven to five during the day. And, uh, you know, come home and see my kids at night and eat dinner with the family. That's good. Well, and that'll continue to get better as you um, continue to grow and, and hire, hire yourself out of uh, little menial tasks that take up a lot of your time. And I do, you know, that's, that is it. You describe the evolution of trainer road is I, I hire someone else to do it. First, I do a job until I kind of am an expert in that job. And then I hire somebody who does that job better than me. And I move on to the next one. Um, that's kind of the evolution, but I don't, I don't picture myself and it's not my goal to kind of, uh, uh, put myself out of the business. I think there'll always be something as the CEO and being here during all the working hours that people are here and leading the company will always be valuable and mm -hmm. I enjoy, I enjoy it too. And you know, if my, if my work is just seven to five or eight to five and I enjoy it, that's, I can still have plenty of family time and yeah, weekend time and, uh, still be a great dad. I don't need to have a four hour work week job, um, in order to feel, I think I would feel actually less fulfilled if I was only here for four hours a week and the rest of the time and my kids go to school, like what am I going to do? 
mm-hmm. like wait for them until they get home and <laughs> twiddle your yeah. thumbs. Yeah, bug my wife or something. <laughs> well, yeah, there's always that place and and necessity for you to be the visionary for the company and and driving driving the company forward. Mm-hmm. And it's fun too. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, Nate, this has been incredible. Um, this has been some really great content, and I so appreciate you being on the show and sharing your exper- uh, experience and expertise in this. Um, you guys obviously have things well put together and established, and I'm excited to continue to watch you grow as, as you implement um, all of these marketing uh, techniques and practices. If our audience wants to get a hold of you or learn more about Trainer Road, how can they, how can they do that? Yep, uh, trainerroad.com. Um, if you have any like technical questions, uh, trainerroad.com or actually support at trainerroad.com. And then if you have a question for me, it's uh, nate at trainerroad.com. Very cool. And, and can they, are you still uh, involved with triathlon yourself? So I, I have uh, given up swimming because swimming sucks. <laughs> so, right, I, okay, I am not doing triathlons right now. I've had a, a bunch of like, I've gone on, like, I've stopped working out for maybe 18 months at a time with the birth of both my kids and building Trainer Road. Uh-huh. Those are hard to come back from. But right now I'm focusing just on cycling. I'm trying to become as fast a cyclist as I can. And then my long-term plan is to uh, slowly come back into triathlon. And I really want to qualify for Kona and do semi-well at the world championships. So that's that's my long-term goal. But uh, there's no swimming or running right now because it's – man, triathlon takes a lot of time. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. And running's the worst i don't mind swimming i grew up i grew up swimming so that is not not that big a deal but running is the worst (laughs) it's i mean even though it's even though it's the even though it's the exercise that i find myself doing the most just because it's it's for me the easiest and easy the yeah shortest amount of time to get out and do a real quick run but yeah Yeah, just throw your shoes on yep yeah well nate thank you again for being on the show we really appreciate it and uh, we'll continue to watch you guys, and uh, we'll be in touch as this goes live. And um, yeah, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Zach. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Active Lifestyle Marketer. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other Active Lifestyle brand leaders or know someone who would be a great guest on the Active Lifestyle Marketer, let us know. We love connecting with Active Lifestyle brand executives and sharing their insights and knowledge with our audience. Just send us an email at info at tigercreative.com. And lastly, if you need help telling your brand story, we would love to share how we could help in that process. Check us out at tigercreative.com. See you next time.